Hi, everyone, and welcome to the preview show ahead of Huddersfield Town's big Skybet Championship championship game against Luton Town on Monday. They're all big games now, just six games left in the season. Got two brilliant guests with us again this afternoon. First of all, just want to thank Sports Broker, uh, our valued partner, for their continued support of this show, of the post-match show as well, uh, Final Whistle. We wouldn't have any of these shows if it wasn't for them. So on behalf of everyone at Huddersfield Town, big, big thanks to Sports Broker for their continued support. As I say, two real experts on the two teams that we've got on show on Monday. Uh, Yorkshire Live, Huddersfield examiner Stephen Chicken joins us, as he regularly does. And we're also delighted to be joined by Mike Simmons from Luke News as well today, who's going to give us a lowdown on Towns' opposition on Monday, and just why they've been so, so good in the Skybet Championship this season. Before we get to Monday, we must talk Hull. We didn't do a post-match show after the Hull City game would be in the Friday night. So, Steve, I'm not going to expect Mike to talk vastly in great detail about Hull City nil, <laughs> Huddersfield Town one. But I think me and you probably are as well positioned as anyone to do that. Will be a game that is it lives long in the memory that we'll be putting uh, loads of posts about on our club channels in five years' time. I suspect on this day, but who cares at this point in the season? The one 0 win will do nicely. Yeah, that's it. Literally all about the result. Well, particularly after three results just before the international break, it was all about getting the three points on the board and there's still time to sort of gather a bit of momentum over the rest of the season. But you just needed those points to sort of stay where you are. And I think you only need to look at the league table to see how massive that result was for Huddersfield Town. Um, it, it really was all about the three points. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny one. And I heard you talk about this on your uh, Brilliant podcast. Listen to to be a, if you want to town fans, if you haven't already, it's a really good listen with with Steve and Dave Hartrick uh, about how you got a bit revisionist about the level of performance after the game. And I think it's fair because I was there with you. And like I said, it, it wasn't a, a, an all time classic performance, but it was a job done again against 10 men opposition, which we haven't always been good at. But then you look at the raw stats, if you weren't there, uh, over two and a half expected goals for town on the day. It was kind of one of those games where actually, statistically, it would be two or three nil, a, more, a much more comfortable looking win if you played that game a hundred times. So we shouldn't look a gift horse in the mouth. Town had an advantage when Tommy Eves got sent off, but we did take advantage of it. Yeah, the, the first half was very scrappy. It was very hard for either side to get any kind of rhythm. But as you say, that, that red card did change things, change the complexion, allow Town to go out with a bit more... Um, confidence and and you know a bit more attacking intent and stay on the ball a bit more but Carlos Corbrand talked about how he felt like it wasn't a game for sort of intricate passing moves the 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 gambit really was we think we can get him down the flanks with Silver Thomas and, and Harry Toffolo and that's exactly what they did they just prioritized getting crosses into the box and they had a, a number of chances a couple from set pieces they had the, the Josh Crone one that was brilliantly saved and eventually they got the goal. And I think it was sort of the the pressure was made to, to tell on Hull, really. You know, it was a game where I think going in, the, the pressure was more on town because Hull, realistically, mm-hmm. nothing to play for at this stage. I think they're clear enough of the relegation battle that they're not, you know, they weren't hugely worried about that. They were sort of more concerned about performance than result, whereas for town it was kind of the other way around. And I thought the adaptations that that Carlos made at the break and through substitutions were really uh, smart. He, he didn't, 
when we've seen ten play against ten men previously, like against uh, Blackpool, for instance, or Derby, he's tended to go a bit more all out attack. But I think he sensed that maybe Hall would look to counter a bit more, possibly because the pressure was off them, and that they needed to sort of keep the back door short. And I think that the subs he made helped, particularly Danaus Nani coming on to take that set piece. Uh, and Fraser Campbell going on to sort of cause problems up front. They were, you know, they were all about helping to create as many chances as possible. And obviously the Sonani one in particular paid off with his brilliant ball into the box met by Tom Lees. Good save from the keeper again. He had a good game, the whole keeper. And then uh, it goes in off, off Toffolo's thigh, basically. He's in the right place at the right time for it. So, you know, I thought that, as I say, the pressure was building on hold. The goal was coming and throughout that second half it felt like there's only going to be one winner it, it took a while to get there but they got it it's another example we've talked a lot on this show and, and you've certainly talked about it in in the Yorkshire lives circles as well about the adaptability that we have as a, as a unit now paying off the, the it's probably as flexible a squad in game as I've ever seen from a town team in my 16 years here and then as a fan too where you can make an instant decision to change something in the game, whether it's the shape or the style of play, whatever it might be, and have the ability to do it. It's not an easy skill to have, is it? And it, it, again, mm. we saw it pay off, like you say, the game plan changed second half and the players showed the ability to, the intelligence to be able to do that. And we've seen it before as well. You know, we, we, talked, we talked a lot in previous seasons about sort of the, the lack of game management from the players. And I think when we talk about game management, we think of it as like seeing games out in the last five minutes, yeah. but it's, it's as much about recognizing where the opportunities are and, and adapting to them. And, you know, I think about, I think it was the Birmingham game where town played a lot more long ball than we're used to seeing. And mm -hmm. we asked Carlos about it and said, is that a gambit? And, you know, is that a tactic he came up with? And he's like, no, the players just identified mm -hmm. it on the day and went for it. I think it's sort of, but even still, I think I, almost that speaks more highly of Carlos Gorbran um, th than anything else, because I think the players are sort of, they know what their jobs are. They know what flexibility they have to make decisions and they know what the core principles are that Carlos is going to insist on. And they can sort of, they can be adaptable around that. And sometimes you do need the tweaks and the intentionality as you did at, at Hall at the break um, with those changes that Carlos made to the approach and that he asked for after the break. Um, but, you know, we've seen Town play a number of different shapes, a number of different styles and get results, play in different ways this season, which is really encouraging to see. Yeah. Final one on Hulls, Steve, because I'm very conscious that we're just letting Mike sit now while we talk <laughs> about stuff. But I wanted to talk, and I'm going to assume now that everyone also listens to your podcast that listens to this, but I want to just pick up on John Russell because... Um, First half, I thought he had a good second half, but first half, he, he found it hard to get on the ball at times, and I think that was down to what Hull did. And Hull naturally play that kind of 3-4-2-1 anyway, where the, yeah. uh, Lewis Potter and Honeyman start narrow, so it kind of occupied the space he occupied for us. But I think you've talked about this before. John's been amazing for us since he's come into the first team. I think I'm right in saying he started yeah. the last nine championship games for us, played the full 90 minutes. If you'd have said that two months ago, I think people would have been surprised. I think that's testament to how well he has done. You've talked before about how teams and analysts in the championship figure you out quickly. 
as a 21-year-old, I suppose that's his next challenge now, isn't it? That he's not the unknown prophet that he was nine games ago at this stage. He's made a big impact. Teams will look at John and go, we need to do something about him because he's hurting teams at this yeah. level. And, and now his next challenge is to show that adaptability that we've talked about to overcome that, isn't it? Yeah, big time. And, you know, we, we've spoken about it with a number of players this season. You know, Carlos... We've asked Carlos about it when we've seen Sorba Thomas had a dip, for instance, in sort of October, November. We talked about mm-hmm. it then. And I think it's sort of a natural part of the process for any young player that's coming through or any sort of unknown quantity that's coming up from another league is you do have that sort of the benefit of being a bit of a surprise package to begin with. But then, as you say, the analysts are on you. They figure you out. Teams will be making specific plans for specific players. And... Yeah, it's it's sort of Carlos always says that it's a huge, huge challenge for any player to get to the level where they're breaking into a first team and playing championship games and starting championship games regularly. And then it's another challenge again. It's the same level of challenge to maintain mm-hmm. that level over the course of the season, not just because of what the analysts are, are doing and what the opposition are doing, but also because, you know, you... you I think there's, particularly for young players, there's a bit of a learning process for how hard you have to work to sort of stay on top. It's not just like you work hard and then you're there and then you sort of, that's fine, you're there forever. You can just, you know, put your flip-flops on in training and you've made it. You have to keep working just as hard to to stay at that level as as you did to get there. And, um, you know, I've I've no idea how John Russell's been in training. Um, You know, so I'm not sort of accusing them of anything, but I think it is natural for young players to, to go through that learning curve. Absolutely. 100% agree. 100% agree. Mike, I bet this has been a thrilling open 10 minutes yeah. for you, so thanks for your patience. It's good. <laughs> uh, let's talk Luton Town. I mean, just as everyone expected back in August, Huddersfield Town, Luton Town, massive promotion, yeah. six-pointer uh, on Monday. I think we've been a big surprise package for many in the division. I don't think it's unfair to say that Luton have absolutely... Uh, echoed that this season, matched everything that Huddersfield Town have done. In many ways, it shouldn't be a surprise because every single season, Luton seemed to improve. Tell us what has been so good about this Luton Town team that sees them sit forth coming into the game, I wonder. It's, it's going to sound a really like obvious and basic thing, but it's it's not conceding and scoring goals. It's, it's, yeah, it's it is literally as simple as that. Last year, they were quite, they were, they were decent last year defensively. This year again, uh, exactly the same. I think they're joint top with Sheffield United for clean sheets. So they're, they're hard to break down and score against. But last year, they, they just didn't score goals. I think they got probably like 40 goals or something throughout the whole season, which just, which just wasn't enough. And, and this year, they managed to change it around. They've got, obviously, Elijah Adebayo's on, on 15 in the league. Harry Cornick's on 10 in the league. So they've got two players on double figures, which if you get that, and people are chipping in around, Cameron Jerome's got four or five, so is Hilton. Mid, the midfielders are scoring as well, so so you put that together, um, and it's it's uh, it's just a good recipe. So that's that's worked really well. They've put wins together. They've won sort of two or three on the bounce, which is they've not really done beforehand as well. Um, and they've just, I think, having sort of grown into the league over the last couple of years, they now the players that are there, they're, they're sort they're, they know a bit more about the what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, they can go to places and they can they can win win away games, pick up points. Um, so it's, it's as you said, it's just been another year of progression, which is what Nathan Jones wanted at the start, really. Absolutely. You, you've mentioned him there. I was going to ask, like you said, 
both the defensive and attacking record, very impressive for Luton this season. How big a factor has Elijah Adebayo been in that? I mean, he's adapted to the Championship from his time at Walsall incredibly well. He's got very obvious threats. He's a, he's a great aerial presence and, and you know scores good goals that way. But tell us about him and how important he is to the overall team performance. We, we talk about it here all the time with Danny Ward, who's been a, a revelation for us this season, and what a, a, a hard job it is to be a, a lone striker in the Suddersfield Town team. Just how important is Adebayo to the Luton team? Yeah, he's massive. As, as, as you mentioned, he came. He had been at Fulham as a youngster, so he had a bit of Premier League. He didn't obviously play there, but he came up through the other, the other teams and then um, he signed last season and, and got his chance because they had James Collins who was there. But they, he went, obviously, to, to Cardiff in the summer. So he's been the one uh, who, who's led it this year. And as you mentioned, his, his, his height, I mean, he's up against any defenders. He'll give them, a, he'll give them an aerial battle. He can run the channels, which is what, what they want them to do. But he also scores. I think he's got the record of the most goals inside the six-yard box. So there's a strange... Yeah. As a, as a, so, I mean, he, he'll, he'll score all kinds of goals and he'll always be in there. And um, just having that, having that focal point that, that, that they, they've sort of really lacked... Um, over the past couple of seasons, uh, he's, he's just a, a big, a big player for them, and he's not scored too many penalties either. Really, he's got two or three, but so in his fifteen league goals, uh, they've all been from open play, really, or, or from or from set pieces. So um, he's just, yeah, he's just, he's just a, a big player, and it's now just really how long they can they can keep hold of him. So that's got to be said. And the defensive record, Mike, what do you put that down to? Because from the outside in, I look at the personnel that are involved, not just in the defence but in midfield isn't drastically different to last season when you look. I mean, Alan Campbell from the outside in looks to be a good player to me as well, but I'm thinking Sonny Bradley, Tom Lockyer. The, the names are familiar to the names from last season, Matty Pearson being the exception, who's now with us, obviously. Has there been a change in structure? Has, has there been something else that's changed other than... Because you always look at the personnel first. There isn't a massive departure from what's been no. there previously. I think there's only really, obviously, Cal Naismith came halfway through last season. Reese Burke's the only one, really, yes. who's, who's, who's coming this year. But they've, they've moved now to a three at the back, which they weren't playing uh, last year. It's more of a sort of a three-five-two, and you've got the two wing-backs, which they, because they had so many good centre-halves, they kind of played it, I think, out of necessity, and it worked. And he's stuck with it ever since this season. But, I mean, they've had to play four in the league, four different goalkeepers um, who've, all, who've all done well and kept clean sheets. So it's not been, there's not been a, a settled defensive or back three for the whole season. Really. Everyone's had to come in and play recently. One of the wing-backs has dropped in and Peter Kioso has come in. So it, it's, yeah, it, it, they just seem to know what they're doing though. It seems to be that they've all, they, they must work on it and, and they know whoever plays there, they know what job to do. And it's, it's just been solid that way, really. I saw Steve grin there when you said that and I, I yeah. did the same thing when he talked about playing three centre-backs because you can't really drop any of them. Mm. It's funny how that echoes our position where yeah, Matt totally. Pearson, Tom... Please, Levi Cole have been so good that we ended up playing for large swathes of the season. The three together, Steve, it's, it's uh, uh, funny to hear Mike say that, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a it's the area where town are strongest. I think you know you've got you've got three very very strong centre backs who I think would make it into any side in the championship. I'm reasonably sure that they they would get in on the the way they've been playing this season and. You know, it's it's been a bit of a headache for Collar since he's moved more often to a four at the back. You know, I think 
obviously Levi had that injury after the new year, which made the decision for him. It was Tom Lees and Matty Pearson. And then they did so well as a pair that Levi couldn't get back in for a spell. And then last week, Matty Pearson ended up left out, where for me, he'd been, you know, he'd been sort of the standout performer over the previous few games. So it's uh, it's one of those those nice headaches, but it's not surprising, I suppose, with Luton's defensive record as well, not just this season, but sort of that they've sort of built their success on since since they've come up to the championship, if not yeah. before, that, that Luton would have that strength as well. Yeah, it's, it's seriously impressive from the outside, in, I would say, definitely. Mike, just coming back to the team you cover, let's talk Nathan Jones briefly if we can. I mean, he, sometimes I feel, and this is the case with players too, that sometimes there are certain people that just really fit a particular club very, very well. Obviously, Nathan had the spell away at Stoke, where I'm, I'm sure he'd admit that it didn't work out as he would have hoped. He's returned to Luton and it's, it, it feels seamless from the outside in that he's just kind of picked up where he left off there. What What is it that he's done at that club that has worked so well, in your opinion? I think you already said at the start, really, it's just some people just fit clubs. I mean, when, when, he, when he was there uh, originally, I mean, he was brilliant. He, he took them up and they're on the verge of, of going up and again. Then obviously he left. And, and then when he came back, I don't think anyone else would have kept them up if if the old manager had stayed, they would have gone down. I don't think anyone in those nine games in the position they were in would have done that job and kept them up. And he's, he's just, it's, it's, it's a really hard one to, to put your finger on why it just, it just I think it, it just works for him as a, as a club. He just, the players, all the players he's brought, they fully buy into what he believes. It's, it's just such a well-oiled machine that they, they just know what he wants. And, and the fans, obviously there was a bit of, um, not everyone was happy when he came back. It took a, it took a long time to to win them back over the year without fans with COVID. I think helped as well because they could see they could watch and see from afar he was doing well and he, and he finished mid table last season, so that was good. This season has come back and they've all been fully behind him. He's now he's now got them back on side completely. There's there's singing his name throughout games and stuff like that. So it's just one. That, it's a really hard one to actually say say why it it just works within there. Talk about Luton fans, Mike. Do they believe it's going to happen? It's a funny, maybe a, a weird question to ask, but much like Huddersfield Town, I suspect that the performance of the team has outweighed expectation back in August, in all seriousness. At this stage now, I mean, we're six games out from the end of the regular season. You can't, it's, a, it's a massive possibility that both teams, one of the teams, is going to be in the playoffs come the end of the season. What's the, the feeling like around the, the team? I mean, they must take a lot of faith in the performances, but yeah, would it be a massive disappointment at this stage not to be involved in the playoffs come May? I think, yeah, I ran a poll a while, a few, maybe even a couple of months back now, and it was sort of 50-50 as to whether they thought they could do it. Um, and then when they hit third, uh, just before the international break, and then most people are sort of looking at the games and thinking, right, we've got Millwall at home, Peter away, mm-hmm. win those two maybe catch Bournemouth. So people were then, the people were starting to think that was going to happen. Then you get a few draws and people are sort of like, well, okay, Bournemouth are gone now. Um, and they're looking down the table a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think, I think there would be a little bit of dis- because where they are and we'll position everything and how good it's gone. There would be a little bit of disappointment if they didn't actually make the playoffs. But I don't think it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be like, it just, there wouldn't be any mutiny or anything. It would just be still been a brilliant season. It's just the position they're in now. And if it didn't, if they lost the next two, say, and they did drop out, there would be a little bit of disappointment. But I think most people are realistic to think that it's still been a fantastic season. So yeah. it's one of those, really, I think. Steve, it's funny, isn't it, when you're 
hear Mike speak about the not not I think there's obvious um, synergy between what we've done and what Luton have done this season in terms of a smaller perceived one of the the the, the other teams not expecting the championship to be right up there. But when you hear Mike talk about the detail of how Luton have done it, there's loads of things that ring true with what we've done, isn't there? It just shows. I mean. How much hope do you think certain teams in this division and fans of certain teams in this division can take from Huddersfield Town and Luton Town being where they are with six games left in the season moving forward that you don't have to be a Fulham to enjoy success in the Championship? Yeah, and I think, I, think that, um, I think that Town sort of showed that in 2017 as well. You know, it was one of the mm. smaller wage bills in the division and ended up going up. And I've always thought that um, that it's a lot of teams, a lot of clubs seem to just treat it as we'll throw money at it and it will get better. And there is obviously that big correlation between wage bill and success, but the championship has always been for all people talk about sort of the, the, the growing gap and the parachute, the effect of parachute payments, etc., etc. There's always been in the championship, the ability that if you have things together and if you have your, your, mm your lines joined up and your thinking joined up and you plan things properly and actually have a philosophy and a way of doing things. And, and you sort of, you stick to that, that you can overachieve, you know, practically every year you see a team that is able to do that. Barnsley last year, for instance. Mm. So it's, it's always impossible. I mean, we've been, Mike, uh, on our podcast, Dave and I have been admirers of Luton for, for a long time now. Obviously mm. their recruitment has been spot on and, over the past few seasons, going back to sort of League Two, League One, and Town last summer as well, sort of replicated that. You know, getting the right signings in for the right positions and getting the right personalities for the club. You know, I think that's you know you talk about why Nathan Jones fits so well at Luton, and I think it's partly that he will fit their recruitment model and will fit the mm. kind of players that they want to sign for him and the vision they have for the club. And it's a similar thing at Town, where everything sort of. Carlos has been put into this uh, setup because he fit the setup rather than we'll go and get this manager and do whatever they want to do and hand it over to him. So I think there's, yeah, there's definite similarities on that front. It's a, I mean, I'm quite, I'm really excited. It's a, it's a great, it's a great game to look forward to and what a fantastic position it is for both teams to be in coming into it. Um, guys, I'm not going to keep any longer. I appreciate we're approaching, approaching the half hour mark. I want to, Give massive thanks, first of all, to you, Steve, for joining us, as you always do. Follow Stephen uh, on all his social media channels. He has some great stuff to say. Some not so great stuff as well, but you can take that with a pinch of salt. So uh, follow Stephen, all his work at Yorkshire Life. Mike, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Give us your expert beyond Luke. Enjoy Yorkshire uh, for the, the weekend that you're up here now that Sky have moved the game. Yeah. And we'll see you at the John Smith Stadium on Monday. Uh, town fans tickets still available for the game htafc.com forward slash tickets it's just £10 in for this game and for QPR on Friday as well I'd be remiss not to mention that and also season cards for 2022-23 on sale now as well so plenty to check out on htafc.com we will see you all at the John Smith Stadium on Monday guys thanks so much for joining us thanks again to Sportsbroker uh, for their continued support and we will see you on Monday <laughs>